This week's episode of the Art Tactic Podcast is sponsored by ArtBase. Are you managing an art collection, an artist studio, or a gallery? Is it time to bring your collection management skills up to a professional level? We think so. Well, ArtBase is the right software to manage your art business. ArtBase allows you to track your artworks and contacts in an easy-to-use, powerful database. You just enter your data once and use that data to generate reports, offers, contracts, and much more. They've got a brand new version out with a whole new look that can be used on the cloud from any location on any device. So what are you waiting for? Go to artbase.com now to learn more and be sure to mention Art Tactic for a 15% discount. Over the past 12 years, the Art Tactic podcast has grown to be a leading art market podcast. Each week we share an exclusive in-depth interview with a key art world insider. As we move into a new phase of programming, we want our broadcast to be listener-supported and create content that you want to hear, not what we think you want to hear. You can support us by visiting contribute.to slash arttactic. Thanks for listening to the Art Tactic Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Green. The New York auctions these past two weeks were a resounding success. There were several auction records, and the market is booming, whether you're a blue-chip star or an emerging artist. In this week's episode of the podcast, we dissect the New York Contemporary Auctions with longtime podcast guest Judd Tolley, an independent arts journalist who covered the auctions for the art newspaper. You can find all of Judd's writings on his website by visiting juddtolley.net. That's J-U-D-D-T-U-L-L-Y.net. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs> Judd, thanks so much for coming back on. How have you been? Oh, good, Adam. Thanks. Of course. It's always our pleasure to have you on and hear your perspective. So the headlines for the auctions indicated overall very robust sales. When we drilled down, how strong were they? Um, they were exceptionally strong. Um, and <clears throat> really, what surprised me the most was the and I mean, it's happened before, of course, but the art market was again able to digest um, with, you know, really few hiccups, a huge array of works uh, at high prices, both for blue chip artists and for more emerging artists and for for lack of a better word for a category, which I don't, I mean, it's not a category. It's just the, the reality of the times, but uh, artists of color, women artists, uh, you know, achieving, you know, very big prices. <clears throat> and just as a quick example of that, um, there was a <clears throat> Frida Kahlo painting that sold at, um, Sotheby's uh, second, not in the Maclow single owner sale, but in their um, evening sale. And it made, I think, around $34 million, which was a record, in fact, for any Latin American work of art. Uh, but it was about a million dollars more than the Francis Bacon that sold at uh, Phillips on the 17th, which I, I don't know, kind of struck me that way. I mean, the 
the bacon uh, at Phillips sold for 33 million. <clears throat> and, you know, with all that <clears throat> positive notes, uh, the most expensive work uh, of the week, of the two weeks, I should say, was the uh, Mark Rothko uh, number seven from 1951 that sold at the uh, MacLau collection evening sale for 82.4 million. <clears throat> that said, there were no works that sold for $100 million or more. And I'm not complaining about that, but um, there's <clears throat> certainly great depth in the market and it's uh, so global. Uh, I mean, American buying, of course, very, very strong, but tremendous uh -huh. bidding from Asia, both underbidding and buying actual <clears throat> works and, um, and very strong online bidding from who knows, you know, what the auctioneer would say, you know, the uh, bidder from Dallas, Texas, or, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of amusing because not in two of a long-winded way, but the auctions have really become, since the onset of the pandemic, they've really become TV studios. And the audience is largely not there. Bidders are largely not there. There are no auction catalogs, uh, except in very few examples like the MacLau collection, a few, you know, small numbers were published, big, uh, lush catalogs. But that whole industry or mini industry uh, is finished. It's all online now. Yeah, it really is interesting to see how the auction experience has evolved in so many ways over the past couple of years because of the pandemic. So you mentioned the MacLau sale at Sotheby's, known as the divorce of the century, if you want to be dramatic about it. But it made almost $700 million, the sale at Sotheby's. Tell us the story about how that auction actually came to be and how do the provenance of those artworks have an impact on the sales results? Well, that, you know, I mean, I, I was sort of, in a slightly, or maybe not slightly, but cynical sense, um, I was surprised in part of the uh, MacLau evening uh, in terms of uh, not only how well it did, even though you know a tremendous amount of the works had come in with financial guarantees, which is no surprise either across the board at all of the houses. Um, but because it, it wasn't the story so much about that it was a divorce, although certainly uh, Harry and Linda Macklow, after many decades of not being divorced, accumulated a uh, you know super impressive, uh, mostly blue chip minded uh, array of modern and contemporary works that in one sense seemed not old fashioned, but not exactly cutting edge. I mean, there were works that were cutting edge when they acquired them in the 19, mid 1980s, like Jeff Koons' Aqualung, when he was showing it international with Monument in the East Village, at the same time that they were buying um, from an uptown uh, gallery, a fantastic Willem de Kooning from um, 
the same a late Willem de Kooning painting. Uh, but, uh, you know, the Maclaws, as someone mentioned to me, it was like each lot was an evening cover lot. Maybe that's a bit of an exaggeration. But when you consider the uh, Giacometti uh, sculpture, one of his most famous images that made uh, 78 million, <clears throat> Jackson Pollock that made a record 61 million, and uh, you know, great works like the Andy Warhol Nine Marylands that uh, realized about 47 million. And that said, <clears throat> Um, these weren't, for the most part, works that the couple acquired at auction. They acquired them from uh, galleries through uh, several, several art dealers. I think the most active or prominent one in terms of acquiring the Mac, helping acquire the MacLeod collection is uh, Andrew Fabricant, who's now with uh, Gagosian. Uh, he was actually... Uh, <clears throat> before that, he, he worked for Gagosian many years ago when he first got in touch with Linda Macklow in what I understand to be literally a cold call in that, uh, you know, Larry Gagosian way of uh, how he became a titan of the art dealers. Um, anyway, uh, divorce aside, um, very unusual because that sum of money, I mean, almost $700 million, like you said, uh, <clears throat> when you compare other famous uh, collections by couples like the uh, Victor and Sally Gans, uh, fantastic collection that sold at Christie's in, um, I think it was in 1997 that made at the time a staggering uh, $206 million. Um, this obviously dwarfed, <coughs> dwarfed Maclow. Uh, I mean, uh, sorry, dwarfed um, the Ganses. But similar in terms of slowly over the years, carefully acquiring uh, top works and difficult to source works. Yeah, and talk to me about provenance. How important was that for this specific sale? It seemed to be not so important anymore in terms of the, whatever you might call new taste or, you know, the growing global collector base that basically wanted, say, names, uh, blue chip or emerging, wherever I can get them. But the Maclau group or trove uh, certainly indicated that people were paying attention and were willing to pay very strong prices for works that were not just fresh to the market, but that came from um, distinguished uh, collections or collectors or, you know, Leo Castelli um, buying directly from Leo Castelli um, it's, you know, that was pretty exciting. And so if we take a step back and just look at the overall contemporary art market, can you recall the market being this strong really across the board for both blue chip and emerging art? There have been, uh, you know, bigger auction evenings in the past. 
Um, but I would say right now, given the sort of, I don't know if you want to call it pent up hunger or cabin fever after almost two years of the pandemic and people, <clears throat> collectors, uh, wealthy collectors increasing their wealth and willing to, you know, just across the board, gobble practically everything up. I mean, the, you know, the, the uh, sale rates were just kind of astonishingly high um, at Phillips. At, you know, there were several, you know, so-called white glove sales. The MacLeod sale was one. There was uh, a, a white glove sale at um, Sotheby's um, freshly invented category, the now evening sale. Um, I mean, it was, you know, there weren't that many works offered, um, but, you know, they sold everything, uh, 23 works. And uh, that made um, <clears throat> around $72 million. And it was that particular sale. And I think this just shows the, whether it's Banksy or Matthew Wong or, you know, George Kondo, just, very, very brash, you know, in-depth bidding, not just, well, I mean, some works just sold on say the third, <clears throat> excuse me, third party guarantors uh, bid or irrevocable bid, you know, whether the estimates were artificially low to, you know, make it seem like the prices were higher. I mean, uh, when you get a young artist like, um, Lisa Bryce, who was in that Sotheby's Now sale and her painting, uh, new, I'm sorry, no bareback after Emba. Um, I won't uh, deconstruct that from 2017, <clears throat> made 3.1 million. The estimate was 200 to 300,000. And uh, there's been some scuttlebutt in the, you know, online space about these young artists that um, are not profiting from these sales, um, but the buyers are um, in terms of, you know, the younger artists or any artists living uh, in the US are not getting any piece of the action like they would in uh, Europe. So artists resale rights, that kind of thing. So, I mean, there's a you know, few, you know, edgy question marks filtering through the market. Um, you know, are these <clears throat> TV studio productions, you know, this kind of inflationary hype or will it, you know, stay through more seasons? And uh, I don't know, I kind of think it will. I mean, it. everybody, I mean, I don't mean everybody, but in terms of dealers, art advisors, various lookers on, I think we're very happy with these two weeks of sales. I mean, if there was a uh, disappointment, if that's a way to put it, um, this really rare to market Francis Bacon painting of a Pope, very weird looking painting, dark and gloomy and kind of scary of a seated Pope with sort of mouth open um, with these uh, in this kind of throne like armchair with uh, sentinels of these two owls 
made $33 million. It hammered at $33 million and the final price was $33 million because whoever uh, backed the, the painting got a, uh, a fee for taking that risk. And that's why the hammer price and the final price was the same, which I don't recall ever observing. Anyway, um, that seller had purchased the painting privately from the late and very famous Swiss dealer, Thomas Amon in the mid eighties for what I believe to be what one of the specialists at Phillips had said um, for $700,000. So that's a you know, whopping appreciation, but um, I don't know if it was just the quality of the paint, not the quality, but the condition, I'm not sure. And I just wanna circle back just briefly to another spectacular uh, result that took place. It was the first evening sale of the season. And that was the, uh, the Cox collection at Christie's. Uh, which was titled The Story of Impressionism. And that made for the 23 lots uh, that sold $289 million. And this was another you know, single owner sale, but one of a group of works that most people would now say, well, it's not, it's not modern, it's, you know, it's not post-war, it's not contemporary, it's <clears throat> uh, impressionism. And it, and it did, uh, I mean, it was amazing. I mean, the, um, a trio of Van Goghs were offered. Um, uh, one of them, uh, one of the landscapes made 71.3 million, Cezanne made 55.3 million. And again, interestingly, from my vantage point, um, these works were acquired most, mostly through the Wildenstein Gallery. So they weren't, you know, auction, they weren't, you couldn't get them at auction. And the, uh, uh, the late uh, Dallas uh, oil and gas mogul, I'm not forgetting what his first name is, but anyway, uh, he died about a year ago. Um, that to me indicated that, you know, with the right material, the right provenance, that era, that period is in, you know, strong demand, illustrated by the fact that the Getty acquired <clears throat> uh, the cover lot, which was the uh, Gustav Kaibot, um uh, painting that went for $53 million. Um, and Kaibot's not exactly a household name. It might become one now that it's going to be shown at the Getty after what certainly will be some sort of um, intense, uh, I don't know if they use the word now, restoration, conservation of the painting, which I think has had experienced some hard times. But anyway, it's very famous work. <clears throat> and so you mentioned you spoke with collectors, galleries, dealers. What has their response been to these sales? Is it all positive feelings? Is there some concern about a bubble? Or is it something in the middle? Well, I mean, I think, that, you know, I mean, the takeaway is that, you, you know, you have to be ultra rich to, to uh, 
be able to buy anything in these evening sales. I mean, maybe that's nothing new. I mean, um, but uh, when you talk about a you know twenty-something-year-old artist whose work has never been at auction before and is you know going for you know in you know over you know the mid to high six figures, uh, you kind of ponder like you know really is that the value? Will it hold its value? Is this a uh, you know temporary, uh, as you put it, uh, well bubble, or is it a uh, you know? Is there going to be uh, not buyers, I guess buyers remorse late, you know, three years down the line, we'll have to see. You know, I mean, the bigger question mark sort of circling around with the art fairs not having the same exact gravitas as they did pre-pandemic with people making more careful decisions about travel, not just for safety, but perhaps for the environment and the ease, the absolute ease of being able to buy uh, in these, you know, so-called live stream events. Um, and the, again, super gallery um, growth, I mean, just getting bigger and bigger and getting, taking on larger and larger rosters. Um, it's putting pressure on you know everyone that's below that. You know it's it's not bad news. Um, I, I, I mean, I would say that the auction uh, houses um, responded so um, maybe one being slow, maybe Christie's being somewhat slower than Sotheby's possibly or. Uh, or not, um, all of the, you know, major houses quickly converted into this new uh, format. And, you know, they're changing categories, inventing names, whether they'll stick or not. Um, but uh, it's been, a you know, I would say very successful. And so as a follow-up to that, are most collectors buying at auction at these price points or are there certain ones, notable ones, who are sitting out right now and are perhaps being replaced by new collectors, new wealth? It, it, it's hard to say. I, I mean, there's a, you know, um, the I mean, there's a lot of new wealth being created. And uh, I guess the poster child or, or one of them would be um, uh, the young gentleman who... Um, I believe acquired the Giacometti at Christie's and is a um, sort of a cryptocurrency uh, NFT mogul. And that whole arena, the NFT thing, you know, is gaining traction. And um, there is some crossover uh, with you know, younger uh, collectors, which is kind of surprising. I mean, the one funny thing that I heard and uh, was uh, in relation to uh, uh, Beeple and uh, his first actual sculpture that sold at Christie's and um, had this large figure and this 
elaborate case. And apparently um, someone was talking to him about the work and said, oh, it reminds me of Giacometti's Walking Man. And uh, reportedly people said, who? <laughs> but you know, now he knows who Giacometti is. So um, you know, maybe things will change in his work. I'm not sure. Um, but I, Adam, the, um, the big, I, I mean, I, I think the landscape of collectors, I think the landscape of buying has changed and, um, you know, whether you're getting something, seeing something and buying it, you know, via Instagram or during a live stream sale or at an art fair or at a conventional and they don't exist anymore auction auction house it's just a a broader scope and um that's pretty interesting it definitely is and we'll be watching to see if that trend continues Judd, we really appreciate you coming onto the podcast and helping us recap these major New York auctions, as well as sharing your perspective on the market. We always appreciate it. And if our listeners haven't checked out your writings in the art newspaper yet covering these auctions, they definitely should. And they can find all of your articles on your website, juddtoley.net. Judd, thanks so much again. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Adam. Pleasure. We want to thank ArtBase for sponsoring this week's episode of the Art Tactic Podcast. Are you managing an art collection, an artist studio, or gallery? Is it time to bring your collection management skills up to a professional level? Well, ArtBase is the right software to manage your art business. ArtBase allows you to track your artworks and contacts in an easy-to-use, powerful database. All you do is enter your data once, and you use that data to generate reports, offers, contracts, and a bunch more. They've got a brand new version out with a whole new look that can be used in the cloud from any location on any device. So go to artbase.com now to learn more, and be sure to mention Art Tactic for a 15% discount.